Well, hey, hey, yeah. Welcome to another episode of the Brand Builder Show. I'm super pumped for today's episode because joining me is Daniel Little from Link My Books. Daniel is a good friend and he is someone who has excelled in this brand building journey. He started with £750 on a credit card for his first inventory to build his first brand, built that up over two years, sold it, and then invested the money in another brand, built that up and sold that one too. And that really just has created an incredible life for him and his family because of going on this brand builder journey. Today, we're going to dig into how he did that, talk a bit about that journey, and then also talk about what he's doing now, which is helping Amazon sellers with their bookkeeping. And he is going to give you some great insight into how to make sure you keep your finances clean, all in order, nice and uh, actionable, giving you insight into your business. So it really is an episode that's jam-packed full of brand building insight. So make sure you do stick around to the end. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. Awesome. Well, welcome to another episode of the Brand Builder Show. Uh, I've got my friend Daniel here with me today. Daniel, thanks so much for coming on the show. I'm excited to dive yeah, thanks, into man. your journey. Uh, Daniel, you are a former brand builder, built your brands on Amazon and uh, now doing something uh, slightly different, but still related. Give us a little bit of a background before we get into what you're doing now. Uh, give us a background into you know how you got started on Amazon, how you found the world of e-commerce and a bit of your early journey with that. Um, so my journey probably started right. when I was in school, to be honest, when I used to buy multi-packs <laughs> of cans of Coke from the shop and then sell them from my locker. Always had that like entrepreneurial spirit. Um, and then I think that sort of like grew into, I had a little eBay shop and I used to buy things in like Poundland and then sell them on eBay when I was a kid. And then as I got older, I sort of like got into the role of, you know, you have to have a job and got a job instead. But I was always a salesperson at heart, and I think the entrepreneurial thing was always like burning in the background, and I knew that I would eventually make my way back to it. And I had a mate who sold phone cases on eBay and Amazon, and I was asking him a little bit about his business, and he was like, oh, you should have a look at this new private label thing. It's like the, the, new, the new thing. And so I looked into it and found mm -hmm. Amazing Seller Machine, the, the course, which was around like quite a long time ago. Um, and I did that basically I paid and I still remember at this day like sitting up on the webinar and thinking like oh there's no way I'm ever going to pay five thousand dollars for this call and then went to bed and sort of like told my wife like oh I'm, I'm sorry I actually did pay it just like what and I sort of do look back now and joke about that now and say like that was even though it was extremely <laughs> naughty and I shouldn't have done it that it was probably one of the best decisions yeah. we ever made I ever made like on the spot because it, it did drastically change the like the the path of my life so to speak so i went from having like a pretty good paid job i was a medical rep so i would sell drugs to doctors um had a nice flashy car and earned plenty of money like and i went into having this as a little side hustle and so sort of started my first product this was like back in 2015 um and i sold something in the swimming niche um it's probably as much as i can give deals on and i built that up for probably 18 months still just alongside working at my job and then sold that business and quit my job at the same time knowing that right okay this is going to be something that I can definitely do so I'm going to sell the business so that I've got some cash to be able to like put away as a safeguard I quit my job and that's already started like the next brand at the same time so then I went into the fitness niche and I started with like a family friends and investor as well so that I could use some of my pot and some of his pot and we started building that one up 
um, and then built that up from probably 2016 to 2018, late 2018, and then sold that one in 2018. And basically, like, we built that up much, much bigger than the first one because we had more cash behind us and also because we just launched more products, basically. With more cash flow, you could launch a lot more. So we had stuff in fitness, we had stuff in beauty, we had stuff in camping. We didn't really go after, like, a particular, like, I know people like this whole build up a brand and like keep your items within that brand we were like totally scatterbrained They're like where's the profit where's the best items that you can make the most return on investment on right we're going to start a brand in that category and so we eventually ended up with like four brands in four different categories um, and they probably had like a handful of products each like six that or seven was products. that was selling on amazon in in 2016 though right you know that's you know i think it's become a lot more popular yeah. the idea of building a brand now because you have to to stand out but 2016 the opportunity was like you say launching as many products as you can yeah i know and i think it's it's a, a fine line between sort of diversification mm -hmm. so you're not all stuck in one brand but then also if the aim is to sell the company like i know we probably could have got a bigger multiple if we'd had like a more concise brand um, so I think that our buyers liked the fact that we had multiple brands, but I think they would have probably preferred to have like one big brand with like mm. lots of multi-sell items. But to be honest, I, I've never really agreed with the, the common sense that people say like, oh, if you have a big brand with lots of products on Amazon, then people will buy multiple of your products because that's not really how Amazon sellers, mm. like Amazon buyers work. They search for something and then they buy the, yeah, one definitely. of the first three results. That's the typical like typical flow that they would go through. So just because you then also sell something else in that niche, mm. unless they're looking for it, I don't think they're going to buy it from you. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously there's some products that if you're going to either reuse them or buy more of the same type of products, they may come looking for more similar things. But if they're unrelated, then yeah, definitely not. So it's, um, I think, yeah. Yeah, I think that if you can build up some sort of list, but I think obviously it's harder and harder to do that because Amazon don't want you to have any of the customer information, yeah. do they? So. Yeah, you were selling on the uh, selling Amazon the, the times when we call it the Wild West. You know, anything was possible. So, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, the super URL yeah, pay for reviews <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. So, oh, I never paid for reviews. Like, no, I think that I always knew that I was going to sell mm. the business, and so I always knew what was white hat, what was grey hat, and what okay. was black hat. Black hat never ever touched it because if you do that then you have to disclose that as part yeah. of your sale otherwise you're you're a nasty person i guess um and if you do that then as any buyer in the right mind is just not yeah. going to touch anything where you've made you've gone against amazon's rules i know that my buyer like specifically looked into our health status of our accounts and all of the like performance right. notifications yeah. that we'd had and i think that most savvy buyers would so if you've had like multiple instances where you've been tooled off or something or you've had accounts banned and that, then you're going to find yourself struggling to achieve the multiples you want and be able to explain yeah, true, yourself. True. Yeah, because you, I think it, the rules changed around 2016, right? Because you used to be able to send free products for reviews, but you would have come in, to, especially that bigger brand after that was made, uh, not, not allowed. Yeah, so I think that I maybe brushed the lines by like getting family and friends yeah. to like purchase the item and sort of like leave a review and i think that's now even been like categorically told no you can't do that mm. anymore but back in my day it was like i think that was a bit of a gray area yeah so i think that they always said like you can't give a free product for a review but my friends and family didn't they bought it yeah so i just said oh, i've launched a new product on amazon would you mind buying it and if you like it, leave a review yeah so, no, that's good good it's be hard for them to find you on that one yeah 
for sure. So that uh, that second brand, then um, I don't know how much sort of detail you're able to go into, but like in terms of like start and capital, are you able to sort of talk roughly how much you got started with? So it wasn't a huge amount to be honest. I think uh, took around forty fifty thousand pound from the family friend investor, and then put the same of my money in as well mm-hmm. from the pot that I'd sold. So we started with like a hundred grand, and we launched three products right out the gate. Mm. Um, and I think that pretty much the hundred grand, most of that was taken up on like initial orders and getting like packaging done and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, and then we just basically every quarter tried to launch two new products. Yeah. So we always like aimed to have like a hot list of products where we would just have like products that we knew were going to be ready to go as soon as we had the capital to support it. Mm. And we'd already had like samples through and um, we just like thought head basically. So yeah. instead of like getting the product, getting it in Amazon, launching it, is it doing well? Yep. Yeah, okay, great. We just assumed that that was going to happen so that we could grow faster, faster, faster. Yeah. And I think having the capital behind you to be able to do that and having that mentality of like reinvest everything mm. is is definitely something that has helped us to grow quicker. I mean, if you take the, the, the first brand, I started that on a credit card and I put like the first order was like £750 on a credit card and I remember it to this yeah. day. And like, so that is like zero capital. Yeah. But that in 18 months had one product and it had like six variations of color but i still only had one product Mm. and so that's the difference between having the capital to be able to scale quickly and add new products and not so i think that was always my as soon as i saw that it was a a good thing to do like private label i straight away had that mindset of right okay how do i build more capital and Mm. i heard people on podcasts talking about like oh you can flip these businesses quite easy so i thought well i wonder if i just build this up big enough and have it running for long enough that I can then generate a pot of money to then get going with the next thing quicker. Yeah. So it and, and I think that's, I mean, you know, great wisdom and great strategy. I think that's definitely a good perspective though. Cause I think if people that are newer on this journey, you say, Oh, I put a hundred grand into it. A lot of people would think, I ain't got that kind of money, but then to yeah, hear yeah, yeah. the first stage of the journey, well, 700 quid, uh, uh, you know, to get the first one going. And, and that's what it's all about, right? You built that up, you capitalized on it, liquidated that, and then went again. And, but you yeah, must've yeah, been yeah. confident on the business model to go again that. Yeah, exactly. You know? And that's exactly the point. It's like, it's not that you can't build these businesses. It's just that it depends on how fast you want to go. Yeah. So if you want, if you are someone who doesn't have that type of money, then don't be put off and think like, oh, well, I definitely can't do this. This guy had it with a hundred grand. I think that it doesn't matter really what your pot of money is. As long, I would say as long as you've got like what's it, between one and 3000 pounds, at least mm. to be able to begin with, yep. to be able to like put some into stock, put some into running your either Facebook ads or sponsored ads. Um, or doing some like promotions through Google or whatever, just to be able to get the business up and off the ground. I think if you go into it with the mindset of I'll just buy stock, I'll use all my money for stock and I'll just put it on Amazon and it'll sell. The other people who won't, I don't think it'll do very well. So I think now it's so much competition. It's really hard to to get sales Mm -hmm. without any sort of promotion. Yeah, definitely. but it's definitely possible. And I think that all the first business taught me was that exactly that it's cash flow is the problem. So like I was lucky enough to have a job on the side, so I didn't have to take any money out. So every time we made profit and sold, it was just literally putting it back in the inventory. Yeah. I was going to ask you about the job actually, because you, you mentioned it was a good paying job. You had a nice car. So for you, money can't have been the only motivation for starting this business. No, so I think, as I said, it's like I've always had this little burning fire of entrepreneurial spirit in the background Mm. at all times. And I think that 
I liked my job and I was I was on like 50k a year and had a Mercedes Benz car and it was like I nice. just picked it and it had only arrived like six months before and I loved it. But I don't know, it just it didn't feel like that was it. Like yeah, I could I could work in that job and I could earn probably more money every month, every year and like build it up, but it did I know it's like sounds cliche, but it did really feel like trading time for money. Mm. And I think that people say that a lot and like it does go like it gets used a bit too much, but I think that it does make sense. Mm. It's like in that job, I was earning 50K. Next year, I might have been earning 52K. Year after that, 54K. Mm. But it doesn't matter how hard I work there, I still would be on that journey. Yeah. Whereas an entrepreneur, the harder you work, the more effort you put in, the more you can potentially earn. Mm. So it makes sense. It made sense for me anyway to have it as a little bit of a side hustle. Yeah. And then it just became clear. I was like, you know, it's actually will probably end up earning me more money than what my job is. And when I quit, I didn't quit thinking like, oh, let's just hope. I already had a really good business plan in place and I already proven the model with mm. this first business and we'd sold the first brand and I'd built it up to the point where I was earning at least my salary on the side hustle. So mm. it wasn't like I was a, a dim person just like quitting and blindly going into it. Yeah, yeah. So when I went into that second business, I already had, so that when I, when I sold the first business, I'd already started the second business. Okay. I already knew that it was going to be on the way yeah. and would like, what well, product was starting to arrive at Amazon and the promotions were starting to run and were starting to see sales come through. And at that point I sold the other business gotcha. and it was that point that I thought, you know, in order to really make this work, I'm going to have to have a hundred percent focus on it. Cause I was yeah. like, I was working quite a lot then. I was working full time at work. I was running this business. Mm. I was selling the old business. It was like a lot going on. Yeah. So I ended up quitting and that was probably another good decision that I made to be fair. I think so. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's it's one you've got to take with a, a pinch of salt. So you've got to be able to know that you can support your family yep. at the same time. Like I obviously had a wife, two kids and had to be able to know that I wasn't just quitting and hoping I was actually quitting with a bit of a an idea of what was going to happen. Yeah, definitely. So, definitely. And then the journey with the the second business selling that are you again able or willing no worries if you don't want to to talk about the kind of size of exit of that or is that um yeah yeah so i think in terms i can't talk about specifics mm. but the the business was probably turning over in the low seven figures mm -hmm. uh, per year so um and then it was i sold that and achieved a 28 uh, times monthly net profit uh sale basically yeah so they put back in all of your like directors salaries and like yeah. earnings that you've taken out of the business so that it's literally just like your sales minus your cost of goods yeah. minus any other business expenses mm -hmm. but anything that's like director salaries or dividends or anything like that that will get put back in yeah and then more like i suppose away from amazon what were your thought what was your thought process with that money that you made from that um you know did you think oh, i'm going to invest this all back into business i'm going to be super safe and put it in property i'm going to like splash it all on ferraris like what was your what was your I, I just i love the like the investment side as well it's just interesting to hear you know what your yeah. thought process was yeah it's it's funny my, my my thing all along right i'm a simple guy has been that i want to get to a point where i can go to a restaurant and i don't have to one first of all check the prices before i go there yeah and i also too when i get there i can just look at the menu and look at what i actually want rather than looking at the price first and then the menu item afterwards awesome. and nice. that is like it's something that i regularly do now like if we're gonna if we're like 
fancy some food, we'll just go, we'll go and get food. We'll not really think about like what the prices are on the menu. We'll just, we'll order what we want, we'll eat what we want, we'll leave. And I think that we'll also pay on the way out, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounded like a million. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that for me, it's never been like, oh, I want to earn so much money that I can have like all these cars and houses and stuff like that. And to be fair, yeah, I do now have a pretty nice car. I've got a Tesla Model 3 Performance, which nice. I'm really happy with. Yeah. Um, I've previously had a BMW M4 and I really like that as well. But that's never really been what it's about for me. Like I had a nice car when I had my job. Like I got that included in my job so it wasn't really about the cars and like houses like yeah i know a lot of people like invest in properties and things like that but to be completely honest my money is still just sitting in a bank account like most of it most of it just sits in a i think i've I've got some in premium bonds i've got some in like a really low interest savings account i've got some in stocks and shares but i really struggle to like i really struggle with the risk like yeah. knowing that I can invest that money in a business and I have full control to like drive that business mm. and be able to make more money for that money mm. that I'm okay with. Yeah. But putting it in like a fund where I've watched a couple of YouTube videos or I've employed like a fund manager or whatever who can say like, oh, well, this is a good fund to go into. It's still like totally out of my control. Like the, mm. the risk is not in my control. And I've, I've maybe got a bit of my personality that I just don't agree with that. So I do have some money in funds and investments, but I would say it's like less than 10% of the all. Wow. So it's probably not the wisest thing to do in the world. (laughs) But um, but yeah. So I I I like overpay my mortgage. So I like, I'm basically, I've got, I've got two houses now, one that I rent out and one that I live in. And the first one is pretty much paid off. And the second one is like halfway paid off me tesla that sits on the drive that's i cashed that i didn't put that on a, a loan or anything like that so like i don't know i've maybe in, invested in the total wrong things but that's the truth i don't i don't know if there is a right or wrong is there? i think you've got to do what's what's right for you and you know somebody's uh, goals are very different to somebody else's so it's um yeah i, I just it's fascinating for me because i just imagine the you know when we uh, sort of cash out I, i'm gonna sort of think well oh, i need to get all this money invested you know and and get it out of my bank account but you're you're the opposite so it's no it's good good to hear different perspectives <laughs> yeah the problem is as well that when i sold like since then the markets have been pretty wild mm. if i'm honest yeah. so like every time i've thought mm, do you know it's probably a good time to go in and then it's like coronavirus yeah. and everything yeah. like, oh. like i've always been like i've dabbled and then it's been like totally ruined yeah. and like unfortunately when i sold as well like that was exactly the time when like bitcoin mm. was like the thing mm. to do so i put some money in some bitcoin things as well and that was like totally bad idea mm. as well so yeah, I think I've maybe been just burned too many times by little investments that I would just never, I don't think I would, I could ever, I could never take like all the money in the bank and just stick mm. it in some investments somewhere. I just, I just can't no, 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 I get that for sure. I'll keep overpaying my mortgage and saving 1.97% interest yeah. on me. Probably best. <laughs> That's good, man. I think, you know, yeah, the happiness is the goal, right? And, uh, yeah, it's more than just um, numbers on a screen. So that's good. Really good. You, yeah. uh, you're talking obviously about then going on and investing in a new business. It's kind of what you've, you've done, right? Since you sold your brand, you've, uh, you, you built something up uh, in link my books. Talk to us a little bit about that transition, yeah. how that came about and the early stages of that that one basically was i was using one of the competitor mm-hmm. products on the marketplace um to do my automation you don't have to you don't have to say it but we all know it yeah 
Yes, swear word. Um, when um, when I was running the second brand, and I used that initially, and then when the brand like scaled and we started to get to like serious order count, then the, the price of that app was just like mm-hmm. ridiculous. And I used mm-hmm. to, I like, I did all my own like bookkeeping in terms of putting stuff into zero and stuff like that. I've always like liked that side of the business. Mm-hmm. And I always used to like separate things out into different accounts and that. And I always used to see that one line on the P and L and be like, you know, this is ridiculous. Like what on earth can zero be 30 pound a month. And this is like, mm. I, no way to lie. I think I was paying like 400 pound a month or something like that at the mm. time for this tool, because I had like quite a high order count. Mm. Um, and so I always like joked about how I reckon someone will come along one day and they'll make a better, cheaper version of this. And ne- I didn't really know at that time that it would be me. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And one of the like gripes that I had with that tool was that it was just never really suitable for like the UK business. So like mm. it was designed for like total US customer and like they have sales tax and that's added on. And it was like something that that tool did quite well. And then just for VAT, it was just, you had to make so many adjustments after the fact and it was like it was never right and the accountant was always whinging that there was something wrong and i wasn't doing this and i wasn't doing that and i was like well yeah the tool doesn't let you do that so can we adjust for that later and it just got me thinking while i was like in the process of prepping my business for sale i was like do you know i reckon like knowing now what i know about amazon and like how it works and being pan you and all the VAT registrations and like knowing all that i wonder if I could find some sort of software developer who we could work together to then make like a UK version of this app where it does the same sort of thing, but it's just more aligned to a UK business. And luckily for me, I actually had, long story short, I had a person already who was in mind called Pete, who was now my business partner. And he actually was a competitor of mine on Amazon. So he reached out to me. (laughs) This is going down a total rabbit warren here. But he he reached out to me and said, it basically emailed saying like, I don't really want to tell you who I am, but I sell in the same niche as you. And I believe we have a mutual competitor and I'll not name them either, but it was another competitor that I knew of. And this mutual competitor was someone who was 100% black hat. They were doing everything under the sun, black hat, like total review manipulation, like just like absolutely ridiculous, like totally brazen everything. And so we actually became friends as like a mutual friend of an enemy, so to speak. And we always like then kept in touch after that. And then I joined one of his seller groups. He was down in London. I was in Newcastle. And I went down to a few of the meetings with, uh, I don't know if you know him, Danny McMillan from Seller Session. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. I was in his little group and we used to like meet up in London and that's how I got to know Pete a lot better. And when my business was coming up for sale, I then said to him, Do you know, I really think, I know I've mentioned this before, but I think that we could make a better version of this other app and we could make it specific for UK market and we could just come in at a lower price point because I think that we can do it for that money and we can then clean up in the UK and do you think we should do it? And he was like, no, it's too much work, man. He still had his business and he wasn't planning on selling his and it was doing really well. And it was like, like his was even bigger than mine. Um, and then I sold mine and then he realized when I did my calculations and I told you earlier that like when you factor in that, if you sell your business and take entrepreneur's relief, which has actually been capped now at a million pounds, but it was capped at 10 million prior that you could take all your money out and take a 10% tax. And I then ran a little spreadsheet and was like, right, okay, well, if I continue running my business and then take out all the profit 
and pay my personal tax on it, how long will I have to run this business for in order to make the same amount as what I can just get in a lump sum now? And the figure came out to like 7.4 years. I'm like, right, okay, I'm selling mine. Like, there's no way I'm doing this for another 7.4 years. So when I then was telling him about this at the next meeting we went to, I was like, I'm going to sell my business and I've put it up and it's gone up for valuation of this, that, and the other. And if I can get that, that means that it's the equivalent of me having to run the business for another 7.4 years and keep it the same without growing it. And, he, and then at that point, I could see like the light bulb ding in his head. And he was like, maybe I should do that as well. <laughs> and then I like helped him on because I thought, well, if he does that, then we can start this other thing. Me. Yeah, yeah. So I like encouraged him and he ended up selling his business like six months after I sold mine. And in the meantime, while he was selling his, I was like scoping out the content and like trying to think of how we could work it in the UK market and how all the upgrades we could make to the tool and like designing all the pages and stuff like that. So that by the time he was sold and ready to go, we had a, like a concept basically. So that's how it started. Um, so it is a bit of a weird story really. That it started oh, out like two competitors who now have a SaaS together. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great story. It's a great story and a, and a much needed tool because I was, you know, I was also a user of the uh, the tool that shall would not be named and um, and yeah, it was eye wateringly expensive. And uh, actually, what made me sort of remember to um, chat to you again about getting some some content made was because someone left a, a comment on one of my YouTube videos from like a couple of years ago when that was the only option, and I was running through how I set it all up. And they were like, um, oh, you might as well just employ an accountant for the price of that tool. And I was like, yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. yeah fair um, enough. And so um, and so that's what made me think, oh, I need to do a, an updated, better version with a, uh, you know, a better, better product on the market. So that's why we got together. But um, yeah. but yeah, no, it's good. That's really good. Uh, so it's sort of like uh, obviously very uh, optimized for VAT in Europe. Can can US sellers still use something like this? How does it work for them? Yeah. So although we do like have a pretty good um unique selling point from a UK business point of view and um, the tool link my books does work for all businesses yeah. so we've got customers in the UK we've got customers in Ireland we've got customers in the US we've got customers in Australia and um, the only place that I would be honest where it's not an ideal tool is in mainland Europe and that's mainly because they don't really use Zero or QuickBooks. Um, so like in Germany, they've got like a few other bookkeeping platforms. Um, I actually live in Sweden now and in Sweden, they have like a couple of other bookkeeping platforms here and we just don't integrate with them. And I think the problem is that there's like, there's 26 countries in Europe, in the EU or 27 countries in the EU. And if we were to then look into all of the different bookkeeping systems and all of the different ways that tax works in those countries, it would just be, it'd be too much work and for a return on investment thinking like, you know, my business on again here. Um, it's just not worth it for us. Like for us to focus on UK, US, Australia is, has been the, has been the way forward at the moment. And then we do have Canadian customers as well. Yeah, nice. That's really good. But yeah, in answer to your question, it does work for US as well. We do like separate out sales tax and like keep that in a separate account and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, but it's just, I think the, the value benefit that we can deliver for UK businesses especially is far, far over and above the other tools that are out there mm. and at a much more competitive price. So yeah. I think if you're a UK seller selling on Amazon or eBay in any marketplace, it would totally make sense for you to go with Link My Books in my yeah, opinion. That sounds Obviously. good. Yeah, yeah, no, and I, I would 
wholeheartedly endorse that uh, that message. Yeah. <laughs> um, give me that five pound later. Yeah, cheers, bud. Um, the uh, just talk to us about like cleanliness of uh, of bookkeeping, which doesn't sound like the sexiest of topics, but I, I'm with you. Like I, I kind of enjoy the zero, the P and L. You know, all that kind of stuff is, uh, is something that I enjoy getting into. Um, yeah. Talk to us about that, like in terms of because link my books when you set it up, it helps you set up your like chart of accounts, right? And uh, which is a really important piece of your accounting. Just give us a bit of an overview of you know, why that kind of stuff's important and maybe some best practices as well. Well, I think the main reason it's important is that you need to, one, have clean accounts and be able to stand behind what you've sold, what you've paid out and what VAT and taxes you've accumulated, mainly for HMRC. Like you don't really want to get in their bad books. You want to be making sure that your books are as clean as possible so that if touch wood doesn't happen but if you do get a vat investigation that they come in and they can see straight away at a glance like yeah these guys obviously have they know what they're doing their books are super clean that's going to put them off on the right scent straight away they're not going to then think oh well it's total mess how on earth we're going to work this out and they would spend more man hours thinking we'll definitely be able to find some like problems here and make some money because what i've always been thinking is that the hmrc really is like a business so they look for opportunities to rec like recoup VAT and tax that mm. shouldn't that sh that should have been paid that hasn't. So if they come into your business and they think no, these guys have got super clean books, everything is crystal clear, everything is like backed up by attached invoices, and they've got audit trails for everything, then they're not going to really think they're going to be able to find anything, and they're going to do like a brief investigation. But if they come in and they see that your books are a total mess, and you've got like some huge expenses that have gone through that you don't even have an invoice attached for, then they're going to be asking you a million questions about everything, and they'll probably go back further. So that's the first reason. And the second reason, which I think is equally important, is if, you've, if you're thinking about an exit strategy, if you're thinking mm -hmm. about, right, okay, my goal is to build this brand up, I want to build it up to £5 million turnover, and then I want to sell it, and I want to achieve this multiple and end up with £2 million in the bank sort of thing, then you can say to yourself that as a buyer, and I'll put myself in those shoes, what would I be looking at in order to think, right, okay, what's a good business and what's not a good business? first thing is if i then jumped on a call with a seller who then didn't know their accounts really and didn't really have an idea of what their gross profit and their net profit was and like what their actual expenses were looking like and which marketplaces they were making the most money in which marketplaces they weren't making money in like i just don't know i don't think that would give me the best impression of a business and if i'd spoken to two and one like was like yeah we're making some good profits as you can see but i'm not really sure like which marketplaces it come from and then there was another one who like shit hot on the numbers definitely be buying the other one yeah, and definitely. that's exactly what happened when i sold my second business is that the buyers said you know we've spoken to probably 30 different businesses and your books are by far the cleanest and of oh. course at the time i was uh i was i was like using a, a concept version of like my books sure. <laughs> so it was like a lot of the stuff that was in there was generated by the very very early version of like my books and was so, there anything in particular about that that they've said was clear was it the breakdown of marketplaces or anything in particular yeah yeah so i think what they liked was the fact that i'd split everything out nicely so i know you'd mentioned like we help with the chart of accounts mm. so our default chart of accounts would be amazon sales amazon refunds amazon reimbursements from like fba inventory uh, disposal like uh, destroyed action i can't get my words out 
FBA inventory reimbursements, where they've like yep. lost damage inventory. Then we split out like seller fees, FBA fees, storage fees. Then we also split out Amazon loans if you've got any of them. We also split out Amazon reserve balances if you're getting any of them reserved at the end of the month. And then I feel like there's one that I've missed, maybe sales tax for a US side, advertising costs. And I think because we split it out into those like nine or 10 easy accounts, mm-hmm. it means that it's nice and easy for you to then look at your P&L and see split my marketplace when you've got the uh, tracking categories turned on which we do have as a feature then you can see like what your sales are and what your refunds are per marketplace what your fees look like what your storage fees look like how much advertising you're spending in each marketplace and how does that correlate to your sales and in these months where you've spent more advertising have you then generated more sales and i think it just it helps you to have like a much better picture of your business and i know that when i started to split it out by marketplace especially i started to identify opportunities like why is my refund ratio so high in germany compared mm. to other european marketplaces like uh had a much higher refund rate or like percentage of like sales versus refunds in germany compared to italy france spain and mm. uh, Italy, France, Spain, yeah, in the UK. Um, so then what I did was I had a look at that and I actually worked out that the reason behind it, I sort of like asked a few customers who had messaged in and said, what do you think about our, other asked about refunds. And the number one thing that came back was packaging. You don't have German text on the packaging. Like mm. you just have English text on the packaging. And I made that one change. Just like, I thought, all right, well, okay, well, I'll put German text on. And while I'm there, I may as well put Italian, French and Spanish on as well. And so I put those languages on the packaging, which was just like some basic stuff. And the refund rates, like following that new stock getting into the marketplaces went down. So if I'd not split it out by marketplace and hadn't seen the difference between Amazon sales and refunds, then I would never have known that. Mm-hmm. And so that obviously then made my business more money because I was reducing the refund rate. Yeah. So it's just small things like that that can make a big difference. And I think that, that then gives you like that as an ammunition to be able to talk about with the buyers. So like when you know your business inside out and you can say, right, I already identified that some of these opportunities X, Y, and Z, and I've got a list of new opportunities that could also make you money in the future. Like they see that as a huge opportunity for them to make a good deal of money out of your business. Mm. So yeah, it it definitely helps to be, to have those figures. Yeah, definitely. That's uh, you know a really good breakdown. The the clarity that that can bring is, you know, the the usefulness of that is something where you th- those are the tools you love, right? That you invest in that actually bring you more money back than you're investing in them. So it's, um, yeah, and that's actually what a lot of our marketing is all around now. So we used to like brand ourselves as like, oh, you can save so much time as like instead of doing this manually and downloading everything from Amazon on eBay and like putting it into zero yourself, you can save like six hours a month doing this with Link My Books. But now we've sort of pivoted away from that because we've realized that the vast majority of sellers who come to us, they're either doing it manually and they're doing it wrong, or they're using an accountant to do it and they're paying the accountant to do it and they're getting it wrong. And Mm. it's an opportunity not only to save time, but also to save money. So two of the biggest mistakes that people make at the moment that I see like day in, day out is that they don't separate out sales where they're going outside of the UK. They just sort of assume that like sales that are made on Amazon.co.uk, they're going to the UK. Sales that are made on the other marketplaces, they're going to the other countries. And that's just so not true. It's like, if you've got sales that are on Amazon.co.uk, that's literally just the website the customer was on. They can be delivered to anywhere. Mm. So they don't separate those out. So you can have sales that are like 
where they're putting them down as 20% vatable sales because they're just assuming they're going to a UK customer, but they're not. They're going either to the EU, and now post-Brexit, that's zero rated, or they're going to uh, outside of the EU, like America or somewhere like mm -hmm. that, through Amazon's global platform, and again, they're zero rated. So we actually have like a little inter like a tool now where once you've connected your account up, you can actually see like these common mistakes in your numbers and see how much you would have been losing if you weren't doing this properly. Wow. So that's one thing is they don't separate out the exports. So we'll show them like you had this many pounds of sales that were shipped to customers outside the UK. If you didn't put that down as zero rated or no VAT, then you would have lost this much amount of VAT. And that's so powerful because then like be able to show someone and say, yeah. you're not only going to save time by using this, you're also probably going to stop overpaying VAT and it's just going to happen automatically. It's literally like connected up, connect zero, job done. We'll do all the hard work for you. So that's what we've been focusing on now. And the other big thing that people do, which is a mistake, is there's like new regulation came in January, January the 1st for UK e-commerce VAT. And then the same regulations then followed through on the 1st of July for EU e-commerce mm. VAT. And basically it all comes around like where the inventory is being held at the point of sale and where it's going to. So if you're a UK established company and you are storing inventory outside of the UK and then that gets shipped to a UK customer, like if Amazon's taken it from the German warehouse just because it was easier for them and you had none left in the UK or whatever, then Amazon is responsible for collecting and remitting the VAT, not you. Okay, right. So the marketplace actually becomes the tax liable person. So again, people just assume that like all the sales that are going to the UK customers, then I must be taxable for those. And so even if they are separating yeah. out the exports and they're not, and they're putting them down as a UK sale, True. Then now, now they're paying VAT and Amazon never passed them it because Amazon kept a hold of that VAT and they remitted it directly to HMRC on their behalf. See that all it's all becoming clear now because I've recently I've been seeing um, sales prices that are lower than they should be and I'm just wondering why is that and I keep meaning to look into it and that'll be why. It also works the other way around as well. So when you've got if you're if you're established in the UK and you have inventory held in the EU or you've got inventory held in the UK and they're going to an EU customer because you're not an established EU business and because it doesn't matter where the inventory is coming from then, then all of those sales that go to the EU customers, Amazon is responsible for the VAT. Yeah. So they are collecting the VAT, they are emitting the VAT, so you don't need to be. Yeah. So it's all these things where like it takes like a lot to keep on top of how all the VAT rules are changing all yeah. the time. And obviously that's our bread and butter, so we are like, very good at it yeah yeah and stay ahead of the game and so link my books is doing all that work for you in the background separating out all those sales and then you end up with a nice clear invoice on zero or in quickbooks which then line for line tells you like these sales have gone to the uk these sales have gone to the customers outside the uk mm. and they've been dispatched from great britain or they've been dispatched from outside of great britain mm. and all the different tax rates are just they worked out like so it's it's like it it's that's what i'm saying we've, we've moved away now from like saying that we can save you time now it is literally i reckon that most sellers who join us now unless they have been like using some seriously complicated pivot tables and spreadsheets and like checking the VAT transaction data for each and every order and refund that has gone through a payout, they will be getting it wrong. I can almost put my mortgage on it sort mm. of thing. 
like you, you can't get it right now just by using the summary sheet that yeah. comes out of Amazon. It's not possible. So you'd have to be spending a lot of time and effort to be able to get it right. Whereas you could just use us and we'll just automate it. And then the fee that we charge will be more than eaten up by the amount of VAT that yeah. you'll potentially see. And that's the new idea now. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good. And just a quickly sort of final question on that, because you mentioned about the settlement report from Amazon. What? Because uh, as a new seller, I remember when I first had that realization that, oh, I can't just account for that transaction that comes into my bank account as my sales. Uh, for anybody that's like brand new to selling on Amazon, why can't they just take the figure that comes in their bank and allocate that as sales? So the figure that comes into your bank from Amazon, the payout amount, is actually made up of all of the sales from that period minus all of the fees that Amazon has charged you for that period and then also potentially like loan repayments and you might have reserved some balances. So all of that makes up the actual payout amount. So if you have a payout amount of, say, £1,000, then that doesn't mean you've sold £1,000 worth of product. You could have sold... £1,500 worth of product and then Amazon's taken £500 worth of fees and their fees are not the same tax rate necessarily as your sales. So if you think your your sales, say most of them are going to be 20% VAT, some of them might be zero rated if you've got some of these sales that go out of the UK or where Amazon's responsible for VAT for example. So you'll need to work out those. And then you're also going to need to look at your fees. Some of those are going to be what's called reverse charged, where because Amazon's charging them from Luxembourg, because that's their main entity, then that's an intra B2B service supply. It sounds complicated, but it basically just means because it's going from one business to another business and it's different EU or previously EU and EEA countries, then the nobody pays the VAT so you don't pay it and they don't reclaim it it's just like you both account for it so it's what's called reverse charge VAT yep. and then you'll have some fees like advertising costs where they're from the UK marketplace where it's billed from Amazon's UK entity so therefore they are 20% VAT so you've got a mixture of VAT in the fees and a mixture of VAT in the sales so if you literally just take that total amount and say right okay a thousand pounds of sales I'm going to pay 20% VAT on that job done it's not going to be right, 100%. <laughs> so you're going to end up more than likely overpaying VAT yeah. because it's like, that's just not how it works. Mm. So yeah, if you're a new seller, then you need to be at least separating out your sales and your fees. Mm. And ideally you need to be separating out your sales into what tax rates were actually applied yeah. when Amazon took the money off the customer. Yeah. Because you don't really want to be paying VAT on sales where the customer hasn't paid you the VAT in the first place because yeah. then it's just coming out your bottom line. Yeah, if you have a product where you make 25% margin and then you pay the 20% VAT on behalf of the customer because they didn't even pay it to you, you shouldn't even be really paying it. Now you're making 5% margin. Yeah. Why would you want to do yeah, that? Absolutely. And you are on the, your website, there's documentation for a lot of this stuff, right? You write up the best practices and people can learn about yeah, it on there yeah, as well. Yeah. Yeah, so we've got a website, we've got a help site called help.linkmybooks.com yeah, yeah. and that's got loads of like getting started articles, loads of information around VAT, about Brexit, about how it specifically works for Amazon and how it specifically works for eBay and there's loads of like screenshots and also videos um, going through everything basically so you can learn quite a lot on there. Yeah. But the good thing about Link My Books is it's just really intuitive, yeah. mate. So you come in and we guide you through everything so at the step you're at, we will have either a video or a help article linked on that page Perfect. where you can learn about that specific step 
and we, we try and like the support is really good as well so we've got three customer service people who work for us now who are all accountants oh wow so it's not they're just like they're not i say they're not normal people but it sounds wrong <laughs> they're, not <normal> people. <laughs> they're not like everyday everyday people is not so they're not they are accountants yeah. basically so they know their stuff and they've been working with us now for well over a year so they know the insides of like amazon and ebay as well they know everything about link my books and they've got an accountancy background behind them so they're not just answering the questions sort of thinking they know the answer they know the answer yeah yeah so and they're there like live chat between eight and four monday to friday um and then outside of that you can send them a message and they'll get back to you within a day yeah. and if it's a really complicated question then they'll sometimes pass them to me as well mm. and i'll stick with my background of like being a seller and having been pan of you and obviously building the tool up mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm pretty confident on some things as well yeah, fantastic. Well, that sounds uh, super helpful. Daniel, if people want to find out a bit more about Link My Books, you set up a special deal for our listeners, right? Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, got an amazing deal going on. So if you use the code BRANDBUILDER50, all one word with uppercase, then you can get 50% off your first three months of a monthly paid subscription. Uh, the annual plans already include a discount, so we don't do it on those, but the monthly ones, you'll be able to get 50% off your first three months. And then if you like it, you can always swap to the annual ones afterwards. Amazing. That's so good. There. I appreciate you doing that for us. That's very kind of you. And uh, people can grab that discount and the link. All the details will be in the show notes, the description below. So check that out. Yep. Uh, listen, Dan, it's been uh, amazing to have you on. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you for having me. And I'm sorry uh, if I talk a lot. I tend to get told that I talk a lot. No, I, I love episodes where, where uh, the information's coming from you and I don't have to tease it out of you. It's, it's good. It's uh, I think that's really insightful. People are going to learn a lot and uh, be inspired by your journey. So thank you so much, mate. Yeah, sounds good, mate. Thank you for having me. No worries. Enjoyed it. Well, what a great episode that was with Daniel. Seriously enjoyed that conversation. As you could probably tell, we could have talked there for hours. But make sure you do take up Daniel on his offer of the discount, 50% discount on Link My Books for three months. The details are down in the show notes in the description below. You can check all of that out. And if you are enjoying these episodes, it would mean the world to me if you could leave a review on whichever podcast platform you're listening on or subscribe on YouTube so you get notified of when new episodes Episodes are released. I've got another great episode coming for you next week. I'm excited for you to hear it. And remember, if you do want some help building your own brand, you can check out the links in the description below. In there is a free checklist, 99 step checklist broken down into minute detail. All the things you need to do in order to get started with selling on Amazon and building your own brand on a similar journey to Daniel, my guest today. Link for that is in the description with a whole host of other resources there to help you on your journey. All right, I'm going to go have some lunch and I'll see you in the next episode real soon.